0: This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at org. And now, this week's message. That particular thought through the heart and soul of the Christmas message. It, uh, boy, it's got it all in there. That uh, God would come to earth as a human being... And the result in our lives would be rejoicing, would be a great thing. And and I know that for many of us, Christmas is a great season because we get a chance to rejoice. We get a chance to uh, sort of cast off our cares for a season and, and, um, and le- sort of look at life as it's supposed to be. And uh, I want to encourage you, in this Christmas season... Not, not just to enjoy all the carefree stuff. I want you to do that. But I really want you to tune into the Christmas message. And I, I know I want to do that too. So I want to welcome you here this morning. I want to say a couple things before we get started. Uh, I'm so blessed every week uh, by what all of the volunteers do in this church. Um, you know, it's going to take a, a little over 100 people this morning to work as volunteers so that you and I can come here and connect with God so that our children can go and be blessed and taught about Jesus and taught the Christmas message at a young time uh, in their lives to keep the building clean. Um, Did you like our creative water catchers out there in the lobby? That's pretty good, don't you think? Some volunteer, you know, wrapped a wreath around those things. And, uh, you know, just everywhere you look, there were people here in the building yesterday who were cleaning the carpets there were there were people here we had about 40 families who came through the building yesterday for a little thing called Bethlehem breakfast and and they were eating uh, breakfast with their kids and getting a placemat and making a a, a cute little stable picture with uh, whoever they wanted in there and and uh, I mean the list could just go on and on and on and I just want to say that for me personally It's an honor to get to partner with so many volunteers in the church who work so selflessly. So thank you to all of you who are volunteers. And if you're not volunteering in something, can I encourage you, step up to the plate and join the volunteer force. It's amazing how it will transform your life when you begin to invest in something outside of yourself. And in this particular case, something that lasts for eternity. My name is Ron, and I'm um, on the pastoral staff here. And it's my privilege most Sunday mornings to get to talk to you from God's Word. And uh, so I want to encourage you to do to do something while I speak. I know you all have concerns, and I know all of you have plans. So if you could take your plans and kind of set them aside, and take your concerns and kind of set them aside, and then but you can pick up those concerns as they relate to what God's going to talk to us about this morning. Okay. Certainly want you to do that, but I don't want you to sit and stew the whole time or you'll miss the message that God has for you, the message God has for me. I would say it like this. Make an investment in your future by listening and embracing uh, what we're going to talk about this morning because, you know, you can get religion anywhere. We're going to talk a little bit at the end about the difference between uh, sort of religion- and real Christianity can get religion anywhere. And if you're expecting me to stand up here and say a few things that everybody already knows, and so we can all nod our heads and get on with music and get out of here, uh, well, I have a surprise for you, all right? Because uh, we're going to do some things this morning that be life changing. So I want to encourage you to open up your programs, take out of your programs the It's More Than a Half Sheet today. You probably noticed that, all right? So uh, we're going to have some fun this morning. We're going to look at a lot of passages of Scripture. And, um, you know, while you're doing that, life is an interesting experience, is it not? You know, every week seems to come packed with some challenges and some blessings. For instance, earlier this week we had what weather forecasters are predicting to be the coldest night of the year. It got down to 23 degrees at my house. And wouldn't you know it, the heater in my car decided not to work. Isn't that fun? So I'm out there not pouring hot water on my windshield, so I crack it. I'm out there pouring just kind of lukewarm water on my windshield and driving and trying to breathe away from the windshield so it doesn't fog up there (laughs) so I can get to work and get to where I need to go. It it was a challenge, sure. But at the same time, wrapped up in that challenge was a wonderful blessing because we got snow down to the 500-foot level. And it transformed large portions of the Bay Area into this sort of surreal winter wonderland. Did you get to see the pictures? It was amazing. Wow, what a beautiful thing. Even Sonoma Mountain got dusted. It was just beautiful. A little later on in the week, my computer decided to crash. Oh, isn't that fun? And when you consider that my computer is hooked up to the church's network, where all the important documents are that we work on, and it's also hooked up to my smartphone, which wasn't so smart now, right? I was a blithering idiot for the better part of a day. I didn't know what to do. Yeah, what a challenge. But my wife was gracious enough to step up to the plate and say, dear, you can borrow my computer. And she was willing to remodel her day's schedule and put aside all the things that she had planned to do on that and allow me to borrow it. And I was able to download a little software and and able to get back to work. And then a a good friend of mine who's a guy in the church, Kem Sisson, uh, said, hey, bring that thing out to me. And he took the hard drive out of it and dumped everything off the hard drive and put a new hard drive in it and put everything back on there and got me all back up and running in just a little over a day. So there was the challenge, but there was the blessings of an unselfish wife and an unselfish friend. Life is an interesting experience, and we could take turns one at a time, just come up here and go through our week, right? We all have all that kind of stuff. Now, I want to give you a couple of observations as we begin this morning, and here they are. The first one is this. In spite of some amazing challenges, some people do very well in life. For instance, last night, yesterday evening, some of you football fans may have watched the Heisman presentation, okay? And so Mark Ingram Jr. won the Heisman Award, which is given every year to the most outstanding player in college football. But you know, there was a person who was conspicuously absent from that presentation, and that was his father because his father is serving an eight-year prison term for extortion and fraud and, and dealing in stolen goods. You know, there's a guy who wasn't given a very good head start in life. When you consider that's your primary mentor, that might be a little challenging, don't you think? And yet here's a young man who has decided to make something of his life. That hopefully is better than what his father made. How great. But on the flip side of that coin, in spite of some very amazing blessings, some people struggle and never seem to hit their stride. I have two words to say, Tiger Woods. Okay? Everybody understand? Yeah. Face to face with the dark side of his life that obviously he's never dealt with. Hopefully he is now. I hope he is. But you see, the truth is, To a greater or lesser degree, all of us in this room have those same distinct possibilities. We all have challenges that we could use as reasons to fail and not do well in life. We all have blessings that enable us to rise up and become successful in life. And yet even in the crowd this morning, there are some of us that in spite of great challenges are doing very, very well in life and some of us in spite of significant privilege, are just kind of limping along. And if I could use the word significantly underperforming. Wow. So how do I get in the right group? How can I tap into something in my life that will make sure that whatever challenges come my way, I am capable of dealing with them and dealing with them successfully so they don't defeat me. I can tell you, friends, you can go down to the local bookstore and you can buy hundreds of self-help books that are going to teach you you got to dig deep inside and get in touch with you. Can I tell you that the message of Scripture is quite different from that? Because the world is filled with people who have tried to tap into the power of their own person And they've struggled and failed. I want you to look at the title of the message this morning. What is it? Power to what? Power to spare. And that is the message of Christmas. So let's take a look at our core teaching. And uh, then we'll jump right into this. Isaiah chapter 9 verses 6 and 7 is our core teaching for the whole month of December. And it says, A child is born to us. Now, by the way, if we're going to talk about power to spare, would we usually think of that power residing in a child? What do you think? No. Children are those who look to us for power. But God very clearly in His Word says, a child is born to us, a son is given to us, and the government will rest on His shoulders. How well will He do with that? Well, He will be called Wonderful Counselor. That's what Kevin talked about last week. And today, Mighty God. That's why it's capitalized there. Next week, we're going to talk about Everlasting Father. And the final week, we're going to talk about Prince of Peace. And His government and its peace will never end. That is the message of Christmas encapsulated in just a few sentences. It contains four terrific messages, and they are the heart and soul of Christmas. So let's take a look at those. This is the good news of Christmas. Number one, help is on the way. And what Isaiah is saying when he said, wonderful counselor, he is telling us that the Savior who is coming isn't just a distant monarch. He's not some ruler, some king, some, some head of, of a government somewhere who's distant and doesn't care about us. But actually, he's a personal counselor and a partner in life. Did you know that? That Jesus Christ wants to be your personal counselor and your personal partner in life. That is the message of Christmas. Number two, power to spare The Savior who is coming isn't just a powerful leader who can sway the masses like some wonderful leaders we've had in our land. You know, current president, very capable. Barack Obama, very capable of swaying the masses going back a few years Ronald Reagan very capable of swaying the masses and we could go back through our presidents and and many of them very charismatic leaders but the savior who is coming is not just a charismatic leader who can sway the masses he is what he's the almighty god friends there's a huge chasm of difference between that let's go to number 3 which we're going to look at next week and that is this Bringing it home. The Savior who is coming isn't just a counselor and a partner in life. Isn't somebody you can go to, pay your money to, or even if they're going to pro bono it, come and spend 45 minutes with and they're going to give you some, some good advice and say, hope it goes well. Come back and talk to me next week. But the Savior who is coming is our what? Personal Heavenly Father. Huge difference. And then last of all, in settling the score. The Savior who is coming doesn't just point us in the right direction and say, hey, I know what to do. You go over that direction, it'll work for you. But He actually purchased and brings us peace. Those are the messages of Christmas. So let's jump back into this almighty God thing. Why? Because the core truth of Christmas is this. And and before I teach you this, I want to tell you there's a danger in this. So I want you to fold your papers And then look up here, all right, before you write. And I'm glad all of you are taking notes. Okay, now look up here. There's a real danger in the message that I'm going to give you over the next few minutes. If you've hung around church all your life, the real danger for you is you've heard this truth so many times, it's going to sail right by you, and you're going to assume, I know that, it's already a part of my life, and you're going to walk out of here shaking your head, yep, the pastor said something I agree with but it won't change your life because it's too common to you. I've prayed for you this morning that this message won't just sail right by you because it's a phrase you've heard before. And the real danger for those of you who haven't hung around church and are relatively new to the concept of church or Christianity or the spiritual aspect of Christmas, the real danger to you is this is going to seem so far out there, so far outside the box, it's way beyond Star Wars. Okay? I mean, it's out there. This truth is not something that any human being would even dare to dream up. It's wild. And you may just dismiss and think, it can't be true. Well, I've prayed for you too that God will give you the grace to open your heart and begin to realize that the message of Christmas is so amazing that it's beyond our ability to fully grasp, although we can receive it. I'm the first to tell you I have a computer in my office and I don't have a clue how it works, okay? But by faith, I punch on the keyboard every week, Right? And it does the right things. So even though I can't fully comprehend how the computer works, I embrace it into my life and I use it for my good. You may not fully comprehend this truth, but I can tell you that by faith you can receive it into your life. And as you begin to embrace it and receive it into your life, it will change your life. And here is the truth, that Jesus was God in human flesh, even as I tell you that, I can hear people saying, "Ah, you're not going to bring up that again." I thought we were beyond that in the 21st century. Can't we just all agree that Jesus was a nice guy, maybe the nicest guy that ever lived, the best teacher who who ever lived? Can't we just agree that 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 he's positively influenced? Everybody that he's come into contact with, isn't he just maybe the greatest human being that ever lived? Why do you have to tote out that thing? He was God in the flesh. Well, now listen to me. As innocent and as politically correct as that may sound, can I tell you that almost any way you slice Christianity, that truth, my friend, is not negotiable it's not expendable. It's not out there for us to say it's not that big a deal. And I'll tell you why. Number one, on virtually every page of the Bible, there is some aspect of that truth that finds its way onto nearly every page in the Bible. Now, if that truth was expendable, do you think God would have put it on that many pages? I don't think so. You can look at the message of virtually every prophet in the Bible and virtually every prophet pointed not only to a coming Savior, but that the Savior would be nothing less than God in human flesh. Not just a nice guy, not just a great teacher, not just a good religious leader. He was going to be nothing less than God in human flesh. And that's true with virtually every prophet that ever spoke of Jesus. Not only that, the angels that talked about Jesus, the angel that came to Mary, the angel that came to Joseph, the angels that came to the shepherds who were out in the field and they brought the message of Christmas universally wrapped up in every one of their messages was this message that Jesus would be nothing less than God in human flesh. You heard the song that was just sung. It uses the term Emmanuel. You're going to hear a song when I'm done preaching. uses that same term. And you know what it says? The angel that came to Joseph and said, Joseph, don't be afraid to take Mary to be your wife. From a sexual standpoint, she's innocent. For the Spirit of God has come upon her, and she's going to give birth to a son, and you will call his name Emmanuel, which means, what does it mean? God with us. Not good person with us. Not great teacher with us. But what? God with us. And not only that, throughout his entire ministry, Jesus himself never proclaimed to be a good teacher or a great teacher or a nice guy. But at every point in his ministry, you know what he said? One day some people came up to him And they were questioning his authority. And he looked at them and he said, Before Abraham was, I am. And these people all knew, oh my goodness, I am is the name that God gave to himself, to Moses. Very clear. In fact, you know what Jesus was crucified for? He was crucified because he openly claimed to be God in the flesh. Jesus himself left no doubt. And the apostles, whom he personally trained, claimed nothing less than Jesus was God in the flesh. It is the central message of Christmas. And by the way, friends, if you barter away that truth, you barter away all of the rest of Christianity. Do you understand that? It is the platform upon which Christianity rests. Now, having said all of that. As I pondered that and prayed through that, I thought, hmm, I wonder what that really means. God. When you say that little three-letter word in the, in the English language, what does that mean? So I got out my handy-dandy little dictionary and I thought, I wonder what the dictionary says about God. Because God's not a name, it's a title, it's a position. And uh, the dictionary connected six things with God. And I thought it would be interesting for us to walk through that because they actually passed the test of, of the Bible and Christianity. So here are the six things, and we're going to see how they all apply to Jesus. And so because Jesus was God in human flesh, number one, because he was God in human flesh, that means he is supernatural. And before we read the verse underneath there, what that means is someone who is supernatural is someone who's not subject to the laws of nature. The laws that govern you and me and the rest of the universe, that somehow someone who is supernatural is able to step outside the boundaries and limitations of what we call nature and they are therefore supernatural or above nature. Now, all throughout Jesus' life, everywhere he went, he demonstrated the supernatural. He could walk on water. Have you tried it? (laughs) Tough, right? Exactly. He could heal every disease. Every single person that was brought to him, he could heal them. Not just people with internal diseases where we can somehow make that work. And and, and I don't mean to speak disparagingly of of faith healers who are out there. But Jesus was the kind of guy that that the Bible says people brought to him all the sick of the area. I can tell you for sure that if Jesus Christ, God in human flesh, was right here in Petaluma, he would put PVH out of business lovingly. I know we'd have some disgruntled nurses and doctors. But you could bring every sick person, every sick person, no matter how terminally ill, with whatever disease they had, You could bring every lame person. You could bring every blind person. You could bring bring people who had missing limbs and people whose limbs were atrophied. You could bring bring people who had never walked, who had been wheelchair-bound for their entire lives. You could bring them all to Jesus, and in one evening, they would all go away perfectly healed and perfectly well. Wow. Power to spare. He's supernatural. Take a look. Some people brought to him a paralyzed man on a mat. I have a brother who at the age of 23 was hit with a major stroke that left him mostly paralyzed on the left side of his body. That, I believe, was in 1973. So what would that make? 36 years he has prayed that God would heal him. And he's still paralyzed. Okay. This kind of a guy, paralyzed on a mat. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, Be encouraged, my child. Your sins are forgiven. You think that's what that guy really wanted to hear? I'm guessing he came for healing, not just for forgiveness. Right? But some of of the teachers of religious law said to themselves, they didn't say it out loud, you know. They had this little conversation on the inside. This is blasphemy. Who, Who does he think? Does he think he's what? Oh, God ahead. Jesus knew what they were thinking. So he asked them, why do you have such evil thoughts in your heart? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk? Friends, you and I have never been associated with anyone who has that kind of word power, correct? You want to know how, some, how difficult something is for Jesus? How many words does it take to make it happen? Yeah. He said, which is easier to say? Not which is easier to do, which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or take up your bed and walk. Now, so I will prove to you that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat and go home. And the man jumped up and went home. No shortage of power. He is supernatural, transcending the laws of nature. Number two, he's perfect. Perfect in every way. If he is God, he has to be perfect. And the Bible is very, very clear that Jesus was tempted in every point just like you and I are. People sitting in our audience, every single one of us has succumbed to sin many, many times. Most of us have fought some form of addiction in our lives even though we might not want to admit that. Yeah, most of us have. Maybe all of us. Jesus never succumbed once. you know something? Jesus never misquoted anybody? He never misunderstood anybody. Jesus never had to apologize for anything he said, any attitude he ever had. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Yeah, I could use a big dose of that. You know, for, for most of us who never apologize, that's not perfection. That's called stubbornness, okay? With Jesus, it was perfection, okay? He was perfect. And if he was God in the flesh, and he was, you would have expected that kind of perfection and it was there at every point. Take a look at what Peter said. God called you to do good even if it means suffering. Just as Christ suffered for you, he is your example and you must follow in his steps. He what? Never sinned. I want you to underline those three words. He never sinned nor ever deceived anyone he did not retaliate when he was insulted and he didn't threaten revenge when he suffered yeah he was perfect he was god in the flesh and webster says anybody who claims to be god better be perfect because god is perfect number three he's omniscient you can put up there that means he knows everything all right just want to use that term in case you come across that as you talk with other people you know what it means it means he knows everything you already saw in the passage that we were that, that we read earlier when the religious leaders were thinking to themselves that's blasphemy nobody can uh, can forgive sins but god jesus looked right at him and said uh, excuse me gentlemen what you were thinking a while ago i'd like to talk to you about that you would that make you just maybe slightly paranoid <laughs> yeah He knows everything. Yeah. Jesus was carrying on a conversation one day with a lady, and he turned to her and he said, Ma'am, would you please go bring your husband? I'd like to talk to him. And she said, Sir, I have no husband. And he said, Yes, ma'am, you're right. You've had five husbands, and you're now living with a man who's not your husband. She went, What? It was like he knew her whole life, even though five minutes prior he had never met her. Yeah. Over and over and over again, Jesus manifested that he knew everything. Philip went to look for Nathanael and told him, We have found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nazareth, exclaimed Nathanael, can anything good come from Nazareth? Well, come and see for yourself, Philip said. As they approached, Jesus said, Now here is a genuine son of Israel, a man of complete integrity. Now, by the way, if there's anything you'd love to have Jesus say about you, it might be that, right? Yeah. Nathanael's a great guy. But Nathanael is shocked. He's never seen Jesus before. He doesn't know Jesus. And so he looks at him and said, How do you know about me? Nathanael asked Jesus. And Jesus replied, I could see you under the fig tree Before Philip found you, and the implication is that it wasn't just a nearby fig tree, that 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 fig tree was a long ways away. And Nathaniel's thinking, how did you know? By golly, I was under a fig tree when, when Philip came and found me. And then Nathaniel exclaimed, Rabbi, you are the son of God. At every point, Jesus just knew it all. He was God, not just a nice guy. Not just a great teacher. He was God in human flesh. Let's go to number four. He is omnipotent. That means all-powerful. There was never a thing that posed a serious threat to Jesus. You know? Jesus evaded death in a way that you and I cannot. Several times, the people in his world picked up stones to throw at him. One time, they all got together, and they were on the edge of a cliff, and they were going to push him over the edge of the cliff. You know what the Bible says? Jesus passed through their midst. Ready? One, two, three, shove! And there's nobody there. They all pick up stones. Ready? Okay, here we go. And they get ready to throw. Nobody there. Why? Because He was all-powerful. Every disease that they brought to Him, nothing posed a serious threat. They even brought demon-possessed people and people possessed by multiple demons, even legions of demons. No serious threat to His power. Never. Even death itself was no threat to Him. For He not only predicted His own death, And raised himself from the dead, but he raised other people. He was all powerful. Take a look at this passage. Jesus got into the boat, started across the lake with his disciples, and suddenly a fierce storm struck the lake with waves breaking into the boat. Just yesterday, I said to Monica, quick, come here. And we live out off of Bodega Avenue. And the wind was whipping through those eucalyptus trees. And the sheets of rain were just blowing across the the back part of the property where we live. And, And it was just, it was storming big. And the water was coming down in buckets. And you could see it just running rivers off of the roof. And I just wanted her to see it. Now, if I really wanted to impress my wife, yeah, peace, be still. You know, I thought about trying that, but I figured, you know, I think I know the result of that. (laughs) She would look at me and go, well, you're not God. I can see that for sure. But take a look at what happened. Suddenly a fierce storm struck the lake with waves breaking into the boat. But Jesus was what? That part I can do, all right? The disciples went and they woke him up shouting... They were desperate, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. And Jesus responded, why are you so afraid? You have so little faith. So then what does he do? Then he got up and rebuked the wind and the waves. And suddenly, all was calm. And the disciples were amazed. And they looked at each other. Who is this man? You know what they recognized? He's not a man. Yes, he's a man. But he's a God man. Who is this man? Even the winds and the waves obey him all-powerful nothing ever challenged him number five he's the originator of everything wow now this is where you really start to separate God from human beings he's the. he doesn't just manipulate things he's not just a sort of magician who says hey watch this cool trick where I can make something appear from where there appears to be nothing But he actually makes things from nothing. You know, early on in his ministry, in fact, the very first miracle Jesus ever did, he was at a wedding feast and they ran out of wine. And uh, somebody came to him, it was actually his mother, and said, hey, Jesus can do something about that. They said, oh, really, he knows where the wine is? Eh, just go talk to him. So they went to talk to Jesus and they had these great big jars that held several hundred gallons And Jesus said, hey, go down and fill us up with some water. And for some reason, you know, the victims, "Eh, okay. And so they brought back jars that they had filled at the local well and they set them in front of Jesus and Jesus said, now, dip into those and serve it to the master of ceremonies. Now somehow, as only God could do, Jesus created award-winning wine from simple water. Yeah. Did Did he have a recipe? Did he mix a little grape juice in there and fake somebody out? No. He was able to create grape juice, wine. He was able to create it from simple water. And by the way, could he have created it with nothing in the jars? Oh, yeah. Sure he could have. He was God in human flesh. And so the Bible says Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before everything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through Him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. Through whom? Through Jesus. Does that happen to people who are just good teachers and great people? No, no. He was God in human flesh. He made things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. So that's number five. If Jesus is God in human flesh, he's the originator of everything. And number six is this. He's the supreme ruler. You know, in so many ways, Jesus demonstrated this. You know what this means? That He answers to no one. And that doesn't mean He's rebellious. It just means that when you are top, (laughs) who do you answer to? You have to answer to yourself. And He does. You know, Jesus dictated everything about His life. I told you about two or three times when they were going to kill Him, and Jesus said, Nope, this is not the right time for me, no matter what they did. Nope, He was ruler over it. He, He predicted and dictated... When he would die, where he would die, how he would die, how long he would stay dead, what his resurrection would, would look like, and where he would be afterwards. And they were all true. Why? Because he is the supreme ruler. You can, you can lock him up. You can put him in a tomb. You can put a big stone over the tomb. You can seal it with a governor's seal. Does it really make any difference? No, when you're the supreme ruler, it makes no difference. You break the seals, you roll away the tomb, and you say, good morning, boys. How is it? That's how it, well, okay, not quite like that, but that's the deal, the supreme ruler. So what does the Bible say? Jesus came to them at the very end of his life, and he said, and I want you to see this, what's the first word? All. What's the second word? Authority. Where? In heaven and on earth has what? been given to me. There's no power shortage here. Power to spare. As we conclude, I want to say a couple things to you. Number one, and this is is something I want you to see. I want you to hear it. And this is the part I don't want it to just kind of fly over or fly by. And I don't want it to be so far out there that you can't grasp it. But I want you to see this and I want you to know it for sure. There's none of these, not even one of these six has ever been claimed by any other religious leader in the history of mankind. Does that blow you away? There's never been a religious leader. I don't care who it is, and I really don't want to pick on Muhammad or Buddha or Confucius or, or any of the leaders of the Hindu faith. or any, I really don't want to pick on them. But none of them has ever stood up and said, I am sinless, I am perfect. Not one. Not one of them has ever claimed to create anything from nothing. Not one of them has ever claimed to do any of the six. Not one of them has ever said, I'm the supreme ruler of heaven and earth. None of them. Friends, Jesus is in a class by himself. He doesn't just claim one of these. He claims how many? All six. They were all six predicted of him. They were all six proclaimed of him in the pages of the Bible. They were all six claimed of him by the prophet's... Many of them were claimed by the angels about Jesus. And if we had the full text of what the angels said, we'd probably have all six in there. Jesus himself claimed all six, and the apostles claimed all six about him. This truth is not negotiable or expendable. It's the heart and soul of Christianity, and it's the one truth that can change your life and mine. And here's what I want you to see, okay? Now, what does that mean? Truth number two, religion is man's attempt to reach up to God. And the history of mankind is filled with all sorts of religions, with religious leaders trying to teach people what they think God is like. But the difference between religion and Christmas, Christmas is God revealing himself to mankind and taking all the guesswork out of it and saying, nice try, but this is what I'm really like. This is me in human flesh. And as we close, I want to give you a challenge. You know, we started way back at the beginning and said... There are some people who have great challenges in life and they do extremely well. And there are people who have great blessings in life and they seem to falter and limp through life and, and, and fall from grace and struggle and never really hit their stride. How can I make sure that I do well in life? I, I want to tell you there's one and only one formula. And here it is. And this is the real message of Christmas. That the same God who came to earth as Jesus Christ and walked among us, and performed miracles, and was supernatural, and knew everything, and was all-powerful, and was sinless, and perfect, and the originator of everything, and the supreme ruler, that same God gives an invitation to you and me. And he says, would you like me to come and live in your heart and in your life? I make myself available to you. Now here's the part of it again: the two groups of people. Those of you who've been hanging around church, the danger in that is you go, "Oh yeah, I did that 20 years ago," you know, and that's when God wants to turn into to to, to Dr. Phil and say, "How's that working for you?" Because if you haven't revisited it in 20 years, it might be a good idea, right? Because that's not going to ch- something you did 20 years ago is not going to change your life today unless you're still living in it. And the challenge I want to give to all of us who've been hanging around church a long time, is this morning, not just in this Christmas season, but this morning, will we open ourselves in a fresh new way and say, Lord of heaven and earth, the God who created everything, who came to earth as Jesus Christ, would you come into my heart today? Fresh and new. For those of us who have never done that, the danger is, oh my goodness, you're saying that the ruler of heaven and earth cares enough about me that he would actually come and live in my heart if I just opened my heart to him. Well, I'm going to share with you a verse. And in fact, those of you who have been coming to New Life for a while, I'm going to start the verse and I want you to finish it. You ready? Draw near to God and what? He will draw near to you. That's the promise of the God who has power to spare. Would you join me in prayer? Lord Jesus, Heavenly Father, You who became a human being and You lived among us, and You taught and You preached and You healed and You walked on water and You raised the dead, and You taught us the truth about life. You taught us the truth about eternity. And now You invite us to have You come and live in our hearts. Would You enable us this morning to accept and receive that and surrender to it? I pray in Your own great name. Amen. On the inside of... Well, actually, it's not the inside of your programs, but there's a place on the, on the communication card. And uh, for those of you who made decisions this morning and for those of you who really want to know and are really serious about, okay, I want that God to live inside of me and begin to change me from the inside out, I want you to indicate on that I'm interested in becoming a Christian and uh, either myself or Bob or one of our other staff members will sit down with you this week and will begin to lead you in that process because it literally will change your life. That is the message of Christmas worship band is going to sing a song that says, God with us. And uh, it starts out very thoughtful and reflective, and it gets very exciting as the, so- as the song goes along. Because when you think about the fact that God lives within us, that's something to get excited about, don't you think? So I want that to challenge you as they say. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information at newlifepetaluma.org.